All right, let's go ahead, let's grab our Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. One of the most famous speeches in all of American history was given by President John F. Kennedy in 1961. It was part of his inaugural address. Uh, There are a lot of memorable lines, of course, this is the one that Uh, you will probably be able to repeat um, even as I give you the first words. But the most famous line in that inaugural address was this, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. What does that have to do with maintaining unity within the body of Christ? Well, in short, it has everything to do with it. And I hope through the proclaiming of Scripture this morning, we will understand, though that was a sentiment given by a president to a nation, more importantly, it was originally given by a Lord and Savior to his church. The one big thing this morning is this, that biblical unity is maintained by what we believe and by how we live. Now, we looked at Uh, having proper doctrine last week in verses 4 through 6. We said there were seven things uh, that we should understand from a biblical standpoint uh, for there to be unity. They all started with the word one. But this morning we're going to go back to the opening of this chapter because it is important that we have the proper attitudes as believers to maintain the unity that God has given us. So let's start Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to begin in 1, and I'm just going to ask you if you're able, would you stand as we read God's word today? Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray together. Father God, as we open your word, let us always remember that it is your word and not man's thoughts on God or man's opinions about what it means to be a follower of God. For your word from Genesis to Revelation is literally breathed out and inspired by you. It is preserved by you, so that every time we open the scriptures and we read, we can know that we are reading the mind, the heart, and the will of God. So Lord, let us not come arrogantly or pridefully to your word, but come humbly, seeking your spirit to guide us into all truth. So Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth from your word this morning in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, biblical unity is maintained by what we believe and how we live. We said this last week that what you and I believe will influence how we behave. And so as we have a proper theology, we now need a proper Um, orthodoxy or right living orthopraxy is right living so why why is it important that you and I live a proper life well again let's look at verse 1 all right there is a command given 
Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, beg, plead, urge, that you walk worthy. All right, so the command is this, that you and I are to walk worthy of our calling. Now, the calling is not our personal worth, but rather it is the worthiness of Jesus and the gospel. That if we ascribe all praise, honor, and glory to Jesus, then we ought to, in turn, live a life that praises, glorifies, and honors Jesus Christ. You know, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. He never promised to build our ministries. He said, I'm going to build my church. And ever since, he has been building his church. The fact that you and I are one body is a spiritual reality. I want you to know this morning that you and I cannot create unity. Unity is given to us by the fact we have a relationship through the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you have trusted in the grace of God through faith, and you are in fact saved, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is our spiritual unity. Therefore, we do have a responsibility, though, and it is this. It is our job to guard, protect, and preserve that unity that God has given us. And the two ways we do it is we have right beliefs and we have right actions. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3 to see these attitudes. You know, there are really four parts in, in harmony. You've got your alto, sopranos, baritones, and your bass. Now, somebody can sing one of the parts, and it can be a really beautiful song. But when you start getting the harmonies in there, it gives a richer, fuller sound to that music. And that's the positive side. Now, here's the negative side. If one of those four parts is off-key, it makes all of them sound off-key. Now, what does this have to do with Unity in the body. Well, very simply, that when a ministry or even a person or group begins to pull in an opposite direction of what Scripture says we should be doing, then the whole church's ministry is, in fact, dampened. It suffers. Why? Because the gospel is defamed. Okay, The church suffers, and the, the gospel doesn't go do what God intended for it to do. See, when division, discord, or disunity exists within the body, it lessens the effectiveness. Not only does that church suffer, but even worse, the lost suffer. Because a true gospel witness isn't seen. Remember this. What, remember what Jesus said in John 13. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples if what? You have love one for another. And so it is vital to maintain unity in making sure that we are all striving to walk in a worthy manner that is honoring and befitting our Lord and Savior. So what are the attitudes we need to maintain this unity? There's six of them. We're going to do them in three groups of two here. So let's start in verse 2. Attitudes of maintaining you, of unity Verse 2 are this, humility or, or lowliness and meekness. For unity to be maintained, humble and selfless people must work together for the glory of God and the good of others. 
Now notice, everything you and I are to strive to do is for the glory of God, not us. Humility requires that we seek the glory of God and the good of other people, not ourselves. If you were to go back and look at some first century writings, you wouldn't come across the word humility or humble very often. Why? Because in first century, the only time you would encounter those words were in a very negative light. It wasn't good to be humble or or to have humility in those days. Why? Because they prided themselves on bravado. They wanted people who were larger than life. Can we just be honest here? I think 21st century America is in the same place. We, we, we don't look and go, wow, look at the humility of this person. I, that's what we ought to do. No, no, we want these larger-than-life people. Look at, at the state of American politics right now. All right, the, 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 the opening words of the Constitution, what? We the people. How many of you feel very represented, uh, represented in Washington and Richmond right about now? Very few of us. Why? Because it has become all about me, myself, and I. What can I do to get elected? What can I do to get my name in the paper? How can I keep what I've got? And and I wish that those attitudes were just out in the world. But the problem is they're not. Like those same attitudes of me, myself, and I, and how can I keep what i got, and how can I get more? Man, they created the church. And there's your division, discord, and your disunity. Because rather than being humble and go, I need the grace of God and the people of God to make me the man of God I'm supposed to be, we have become an individualized society. We don't like sharing the truth of where we're at. Because we're afraid that people will use it against us and it'll make us look weak. And we have to project strength in all of these things. And what I want you to understand this morning is this. This is the exact opposite of what Scripture teaches we ought to be like. Remember that, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. If we're going to maintain the unity that God has given to us, we must seek the glory of God and the good of others. It means I recognize the strengths that God has given me. And instead of using them to build me up, I use them to point others to Jesus. And I use them to strengthen my brothers and sisters in the church. The second word Paul uses in verse 2 is the word meekness. Now there's a lot of confusion on meekness. Most people, when you think, oh, well, look, they're just a meek and mild person. We think of of a weak person. It's not the biblical word. The biblical meaning of meekness is strength under control. When you, it, let's say you go out this afternoon and you get a new colt. What are you going to have to do with that colt? Never been ridden, anything brand new. What are you going to do? You're going to have to break it, right? Now, is that colt any less strong after you break it? No. What is it? It's harnessed. By breaking the colt, you have taught it to submit to its master. And here's the picture of what it means to follow in the footsteps of Christ. Christ needs to break us of our pridefulness so that we come under his control. 
Remember what Jesus said in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I commanded you? To say that Jesus is your Savior but not your Lord is a heresy. It is a false teaching that is leading millions upon millions in the American church straight to hell. And we've got to stop it. Because if Jesus saved me, then he is also going to be in control of me. And so God has to break us. And I, I wish it would be as simple as God, God just going, listen, you need to learn to submit to me. I wish it'd be that easy, you know, he'd tell us submit and, and then we would submit. But you know, that's not how it happens. You know, God, how, how God breaks us? Through suffering. Through putting us in positions where we go, I can't. And the whole time God's going, I know you can't, I can't, I got this. We learn to submit to his authority because of who he is. And so meekness in unity is this. It's not downplaying your strengths. It's not saying that you're good for nothing. It's saying, God, you have given me certain strengths, but I don't have all strengths, so I'm dependent on you, and I'm dependent on my brothers and sisters for us to be the man and the women and the church that you have called us to be. It is choosing to allow God to harness our gifts for his glory. So then we have two more words. In verse 2, long-suffering and forbearing. Now, many times when, they, when people see the word long-suffering, they automatically think of patience. And, and certainly patience is of long-suffering. However, really the, the word means for us patience or endurance and perseverance. Long-suffering is endurance, and it's persevering. Now, what does it mean to persevere? Well, it means two simple things. First, it means I will willingly suffer temporarily because I know something better is coming. Persevering also means that I will willingly suffer and not have the desire to fight back. Because I'm not trying to preserve myself. I'm preserving the glory of God. I am seeking Him in everything I do. There's two places we see it in Scripture. The first one, 2 Corinthians 4, where the Apostle Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, the difficulties that God allows, they are light, they are momentary, but they are preparing us for the eternal presence of God. So instead of asking when you find yourself in a difficult spot, Lord, take this away from me. Rather, our prayer should be, Father, help me to be faithful to you in this. I want to persevere through this. But then the second part, this desire not to fight back. Listen to what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What is Jesus getting at? He's saying be willing to suffer at the hands of unsaved people for a time and don't seek to retaliate against them because in doing so, God can open a door for you to share the gospel. How many quick-witted people do I have here? Like somebody gives you a barb and like you got an answer right back for them. Anybody else? Okay, good. I was afraid I was going to be talking to myself again. Um, I, I like having those quick comebacks. You know, those zingers. But there's a problem with them. They reveal a lack of trust in God to handle that situation. I feel I got to get you back because somehow God can't handle that situation. That's kind of hurtful, isn't it? We, we feel like we have to retaliate. I've got to defend my name. I've got to defend my honor. You know, they're unjustly accusing me. So what? Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body but not touch the soul. Rather, fear him who can kill your body and cast your soul into hell. Let God defend you. Repay no one evil for evil. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. When you and I fight back, when we get those little one-liners, those zingers, what we're doing is we're saying the power of God is not enough to defend me. I have to do it. And when we do it with the lost, when we hit them back, we lose the ability to speak the gospel into their life. And so persevering is saying, okay, this isn't fair, this isn't right, but your eternal soul matters more than my reputation. So you go ahead, you take your best shot, but you got to know I'm not going to come back at you, but I am going to share the gospel with you. We live in a skeptical world, church. People aren't just going to knock down our doors and go, hey, will you share the gospel with me? You and I, we have to earn the right to speak into their life. And the only way that we can earn that right to speak into their life is to put up with some garbage from time to time and not retaliate. And I got it. It's hard. It's not fun. But at the end of the day, would you rather get them with a one-liner and lose the opportunity to share the gospel, or are you willing to go, it's all right, because I care about something bigger than my reputation. I care about your soul. We have to learn to trust God in everything that he is doing in this. Then the, the next word that goes right along with it, you're, I'm sure you're all having fun here, is the word forbearing one another. Oh, man, what does, it, what does it mean to forbear? It means to put up with. It means to put up with foolishness from other people for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God, and they're good. You, you've probably heard me say this countless number of times in 10 years. Meaningful ministry is messy. 
Now, in case you're not really sure what I mean by that, let me ask you a question. How many of you, after you surrendered to the grace of God and you became a child of God, how many of you were the perfect Christian that moment? Like you knew all the Bible verses, you knew the stories, you, you knew how to live and, and walk, and everything was good. Old habits die hard. You see, what you and I do on a day-to-day basis is we shine the light of the world, Jesus Christ, into a dark, sin-sickened world. And and we do it knowing that many are going to reject, but we have the promise of Scripture that God, by His grace and through His plan, is going to save some. And, And when they become saved, now we have to begin that process of helping them grow up like we are in the process of growing up. And what it means is this, sometimes they're going to mess up. They're not going to have life altogether. Some of those habits that they were caught in before God miraculously delivered them from sin, you know what, they're still struggling with. And so we have to come alongside of them and help them to grow deeper in their walk with God so that God will help the church grow outwardly. See, remember, we, this goes all the way back to December. You and I cannot grow a church. Can't do it. Fact of the matter, God didn't even give us the job description to grow the church. The church's job is to train and equip the saints for the work of ministry, which means we grow up, we become more spiritually mature. And as we grow deeper in our walk with God, watch this, then we become more obedient to the word of God. And as we're more obedient to the word of God, then we go and share the gospel of God and he saves the lost and the process continues to repeat and so meaningful ministry is going to be messy we, we want to get past the days where plastic Christians walk through those doors we want to come to the place where there are hurting broken people who are crying out for God to change them from the inside out. And that's a process. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident in this very thing, that he that has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, from the moment of your salvation, my salvation, we are a work in progress until we're face to face with perfection. And that takes forbearance. We have to put up with some stuff while we grow together in the grace of God. And we have to have that attitude of what it means to walk with Jesus. Now look at the very end of verse 2. It says, forbearing one another in love. Our motivation behind everything we do must be a love for God, first and foremost. And second, our love for God will be manifest in a love for other people. And so the more I love God, the more I'm going to love people, including the the messy ones, the the ones who hate me and want to silence me, I'm going to continue to love them by the grace of God because they need the gospel. And we continue to grow in there, so we have to forbear things. How did Paul, by the way, know what love is? Listen to what his description of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There's both of our words already. Love never fails. How, do, how could Paul write those words? Because the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and Paul's personal testimony. Paul met love and grace and truth on the road to Damascus. And it changed his life. More than anything, what we need to be praying is that the world would not become more like us, but that they would meet Jesus Christ and they would become more like him. We want to be imitators of Christ, which requires us to love God through obedience and love other people. Then we have the last two words, verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit, a bond of peace. So the last two words are endeavor and peace. To endeavor means to be eager. It's in the imperative in the Greek, which means we are to daily be eager to keep the unity of the body. It means that anything that tries to sow discord, division, or cause disunity will be met with the truth of Scripture. It will not be tolerated to sow discord, division, and disunity. You remember back to probably a couple of weeks ago, we talked about every believer carries two imaginary buckets. One bucket is carrying gas. The other is carrying water. And you get to choose which one you're going to throw. When, when we hear gossip, throw that bucket of water on it and silence it. When, when we see division and all these things starting to do, we have a choice to make. Will I listen to it? By the way, if you just listen to it, then you're throwing gas on it. The only way to throw water on it is go, stop it. Done. This does not honor God in any way. It is not befitting of a child of God. Stop it. This is what it means to endeavor. We will ferociously protect not our reputation. We will ferociously not protect our church. We will ferociously protect the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will hold it in grace and truth. The last word that Paul uses is the word peace. This is the peace with God. James talks about why we struggle to maintain unity in the church. In James chapter 4 and verse 1, he writes this. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? If you're a true child of God, doesn't mean that there isn't a sinful nature still at war within you. Now we've traded that sinful nature for that new nature God has given us through the gospel. But don't ever believe that that sinful, selfish, old nature won't try to rear its head up. And this is where division disunity and discord come from it comes from people who go 
Well, I want what I want. I want my needs met. I want my preferences done. And we have to recognize these things. Fights and disunity break out in the church when sinful, selfish nature is in control of us instead of our God-given new nature. How do I know which nature is in control of me? Very simple. Ask, what do you want? Is the word I, me, or my anywhere in it? If it is, the wrong nature is in control. A child of God should never ask what's in it for me. We should always ask, what can I give God? How can I serve you? It's never me, it's we. How do we keep this sinful old nature from rising up in us? How do we live this text out? I want to give you four things really quickly. First, I would say this. We need to have a right view of ourselves. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less and others more. We should never put ourselves down. We should never downplay the strength and the spiritual gift that God has given you. That's not humility. That's actually a false pride. You know, you ever meet somebody that brags about how humble they are? Yeah, that's called pridefulness. Okay? But we don't want to go, well, you know, I'm not important. I don't have anything. Jesus Christ redeemed you. By his grace, through his blood, he has imparted his spirit inside of you. You have a spiritual gift that he wants you to know and expects you to use for his glory and the good of the church. And so you don't want to downplay yourself, but at the same time, don't use your spiritual gift to diminish the importance of other people. I'm not more important because of what I do. We understand that God shows no partiality. Feelings of superiority or somehow that we are better than others will do more to harm the church than it will ever help the church. Remember this, you and I could not save ourselves. If we can't save ourselves, then how can we expect to be all things to all people? Jesus Christ is all things to all people. Our job is to point others to him. The second thing I want to say is pray for one another. All right, a little family talk here. This is a rough week. Uh, I remember about two weeks ago sitting in a, in a Bible study with uh, Pastor Harry and, and some others, and I made this comment. I don't know why I just feel like God is getting ready to send us through a difficult season right now. And I got to tell you, seven days later, it all broke loose. I mean, all week, it was something. There was death in families. There were hospital visits there. I mean, there were other things just constantly going on. this that we are all in a battle every single day to honor and glorify God encourage one another pray for one another you know we, we had a mission to go in uh, down to Myrtle Beach I, I, man I'm so excited to hear what, what God did in them and through them here in the next week or so and, and like a week before it happened 
two of the members happened to get into a car accident that left a lot of things up in the air, including their tires. I mean, let's just be honest, like, it was like, uh-oh, what, what's going on? Then one of us asked the dangerous question, what's next? By the way, don't ever ask that question. But, but the thing is, pray for each other. Why? Because we're all battling something. Some things we know what's going on. We know that families suffer death in the hospital and things like that. But I guarantee you, every person in here is battling something in their life that they need to experience the grace of God. Pray for each other. Encourage one another, which leads me to number three. Help each other. As you pray for one another, look for ways to encourage one another. In fact, about it, I, I want to give you a little bit of homework. I know you love that. Before you leave here, find two to three people and just go up to them and go, how can I pray for you this week? And then put it in your iPhone, your Android, or however you Put things on a calendar and make sure to pray for them. Find two to three people before you leave. Pray for them. How many of you have a, ever had like a bad day, maybe a bad week, and you go to the, the mailbox and you open the mailbox and, well, there's the typical, you know, stack of bills there. But then buried up under there, there's a little postcard. And it's just a little note of encouragement. You know, hey, was thinking about you, praying for you. Let me know how I can help you. Anybody ever experienced that? What does that do to your whole day? It changes it. You know why? Because the church is being the church and reminding us of what Scripture says when God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you. You're going through uh, the waters, I'm with you. You're going through the fire, I'm there. You're going through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. We can't do everything, but we can do something. Help one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. If we're going to outdo each other in anything, let it be this, that we will outserve one another. And then finally, do your part to maintain unity. Every member here has an active call from God to walk worthy, which means you fight for the gospel. You fight with, you fight for your brother and sister to maintain the integrity of the gospel. When we encounter sinful actions, we must call them out. At the same time, we must lift one another up. These are the six attitudes that Scripture tells us must be in us. But more importantly than anything else this morning, you need one thing in you, and that is the Spirit of God. And there's only one way that you can have the Spirit of God in you, and that is that the grace of God has saved you. Every believer has the Spirit. No unbeliever has the Spirit living inside of them. And so you can try to have all the right attitudes in the world. But if you've never come to that place where you have agreed with God, it's what it means to confess, to agreed with God that you have been sinfully rebellious against His grace, that you deserve His eternal judgment, 
that you recognize in his love and because of his grace, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. If you have never come to that place, this is where you have to begin. No amount of church attendance, no amount of Bible studies, no amount of baptism, church membership will ever change your eternal situation. Only the grace of God through faith in God because of Christ can save you. And so maybe you're walking here this morning, you're really struggling. Like just getting here was difficult. Understand God had something to say to you. It's either a call to surrender to his grace or it's a call to walk closer with him. And so I know we call this a worship service, but I want to say this. You have not worshiped until you have responded to God. Worship is a verb. So my last question to you is this. What will you do with what the Spirit of God has said through the Word of God? By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Father, as we close out this portion of service, Lord, the most important part is about to begin. Because it's a time in which we respond to you. Lord, your grace is evident all over the place. Because we are all sinners who deserve your eternal wrath. Yet for those who have placed their faith in Jesus... They have passed from death into life. And so, Lord God, I pray for those who might be here who have never trusted in you. Lord God, I pray that this morning they would see their need for your grace and they would surrender to it. And Father, I pray for our church family. God, I thank you for them. I've heard story after story this week, though it was long and difficult. I've heard story after story of how you have used this body to reach out and to love on other people. And Father, I just want to praise you for that. Lord, draw us closer to you. Draw us closer to one another that we can show the Scruggs Road community and beyond the power of in the glory of God and of his gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need to, to ask questions or know what does it mean to be a child of God, I want to encourage you now is the time you can come up here. I'm more than happy to talk with you, pray with you, and we'll talk about it in a little bit as well. If there's something you need to confess, now is the time. Let's leave this place the same as we walked in. Let's be transformed by it. Let's see Jesus paid it all.